attention to uh, the word of the Lord today. Actually, I'm going to forego my opening reading, and I'm just going to let you be seated in Jesus' name and get some remarks, and then we'll get into the word. That's a little bit different. Normally, we open with a, a set of scriptures, and uh, then we're seated. Lord bless you. Make yourself comfortable. We're glad you're here today. Who all saw the lesson from Wednesday? Amen. A few of you. I want to continue that lesson today. And we were talking Wednesday. Who can tell me what the title of Wednesday's message was? I know I'm putting you on the spot right now. I'm seeing new boxes. Pardon? Story behind the story. I'm hearing it everywhere. The story behind the story. Hey, listen, folks. We're having services on Wednesday. They're just online. You need to go to church on Wednesday. Even if it is just online. If we was having church here in the building, you'd be in church. Yeah. Amen. So grab your big iced tea and sit down in your living room and watch it online if you would. Amen. Uh, I want to continue the story behind the story today. And I want to give you this message today. Be an encourager. Be and encourager. Say, oh boy, here we go. We have to be nice. Yes, we have to be nice. In fact, the Bible calls us to be an encourager. The Bible is full of people that we can learn from and, and gain example from and pattern our lives after. Of course, our ultimate role is certainly Jesus Christ. But there are so many other people and examples in the Bible that we can benefit from. Like, like Abraham, we should strive to have such a close relationship with God that we too could be called the friend of God. Maybe like the Apostle Andrew that we talked about Wednesday in our Wednesday in the Word lesson. That we should look for opportunities to bring others to Christ. Just as he brought his own brother to Christ, we know him as the Apostle Peter. Aren't you thankful for a lesser known Apostle Andrew that brought a Peter to Christ? We wouldn't have anybody to make fun of in Scripture. Peter was crazy. That dude was crazy. Cutting ears off and stepping out of boats and... Preaching on the day of Pentecost, and we wouldn't have any of that crazy stuff if Andrew hadn't went to him and said, You gotta come see the Messiah. We found him. Right. It was Andrew that we get a Apostle Peter. Or as Wednesday we mentioned, it was the little maid that went into Naaman's wife and said, Listen, your husband has leprosy, but if only he knew the prophet from my land, he would heal him. And we know the rest of the story. He goes to Jerusalem. He goes to Jordan, rather. And he talks to the prophet. The prophet has him dip seven times in muddy Jordan. And we know the great story, how Naaman gets his healing. All because a little maid spoke up and said, Oh, if you knew the God of my people. 
Aren't you thankful for the stories behind the stories? Amen. And how many know there are still stories going on behind the stories? Oh, I hope so. I just want to give credit and I, I want to give props and compliment. Lisa Bradley has been giving a Bible study. She has no idea I'm going to say this. I'll probably catch flack a little bit later about it. And I don't mean to embarrass her, but I want to give her props and say thank you for giving a Bible study to somebody that you reached out, went to school all those years ago. I mean, she's not that old, but it was a few years ago. Reconnected with this individual. That's the lady we're baptizing next Sunday because there's a story behind the story. How many people are in your lives waiting to connect and reconnect with Jesus Christ, but they need a connection and it's the story behind their story. Can I tell you, Calvary, every one of you sitting here today, you're the story behind the story. And God's waiting to use you today. God's waiting to use you in your life, in your circle of influence. You're the story behind the story. Today, in keeping with uh, Wednesday's lesson, I want us to focus on another story behind the story. And honestly, if more of us would follow this example I'm going to give you today, be more like him, it would transform our personal lives, it would change our communities, and it would for sure revolutionize our church today. Wednesday, one of the big stories we talked about in Scripture was the Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. We showed that we don't get a Saul coming to Christ without a little known story behind the story of a man named who? Ananias. Remember we told you. Ananias receives a word, a vision from the Lord, and the Lord appears to Ananias some distance away, and he says, go ye to the way called straight, and there's a man waiting for you there, Ananias, and I need you to lay your hands on him and baptize him, and he'll receive the Holy Ghost, but you need to go pray for him. And I've even given him a vision of there's a man coming to pray for you and lay hands on you, and his name is Ananias. At the very same time, God is giving a vision to two separate men. There were stories behind the stories. And we don't get a conversion of Saul of Tarsus without a little-known man uh, called uh, Ananias in Scripture. Saul never uh, makes it in a conversion without a man named Ananias. I'm so thankful for stories behind the stories. But I want to go one step further, talk about another individual. I'm not here to preach about Ananias. We're putting him on pause. There's another person behind the scenes that was so influential in Paul's life. Can I lay the foundation and tell you that the Apostle Paul is probably one of the greatest second to Jesus icons of the New Testament. Amen. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament. He is an icon, to say the least. We follow his biblical teachings. We uh, adhere to what he wrote in scripture. And he understood by the Holy Ghost so much of what Jesus uh, transmitted through the disciples. And, and he himself got a revelation of all this through the Holy Spirit. And so we are, are quick to recognize the caliber and the quality of man that this Apostle Paul is. 
But can I say, aside from even Ananias, there's another man that we don't get that caliber of an apostle Paul without this other man. Your mind's turning. Who is it? Who is it? I'll give it to you. It's Barnabas. It's Barnabas. We don't have the apostle Paul in the New Testament without a man named Barnabas. Barnabas was the kind of guy who encouraged people wherever he went. In fact, he was known as the encourager. When others could only see the faults and shortcomings of others, Barnabas would focus on the positive of what they were doing. Barnabas had the ability to bring out the best in people. He was the kind of guy that would do everything within his power to cheer someone up if he knew they were down. He was the kind of person that uh, to the hurting, he would go out of his way to comfort them and minister to them. He was always on the lookout for someone to encourage. It was his nature. It was his identity. He was also the kind of person who was willing to reach out a hand to help someone if they had stumbled and fallen. Barnabas is who we're talking about. He's one of those that would help someone get back up on their feet. How many know we all needed somebody to help us get back up on our feet? We all needed a Barnabas in our life to come alongside and, and not necessarily empower us in a negative way, but to call out greatness in our lives and to speak greatness into our lives. Can I tell you, even in the church, we need one another and we need some Barnabas in the church. We need some saints that will come alongside each other and believe in one another and speak into each other's lives. That's the spirit of Barnabas, if you will, the spirit of an encourager. He would be that voice that would encourage people to learn from their mistakes and then focus on a better future. This was the voice of the man that would have an impact on Saul of Tarsus. This was a man that would come in contact with this newly converted man that had a reputation. And this kind of impact from a Barnabas quickly got into the mindset of this man named Saul. In fact, later on in scripture, Paul would write these words. Notice the similarity between these words and the mentality of a Barnabas. Philippians 3 and 13. Paul says these words years later. Brother, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. I had a man teach me something one time. Forgetting those things which are behind, he helped me see that I could reach forth of the things which are before me. So I, Paul, press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Because there was a Barnabas in my life. He was able to say powerful words that have impacted us generations and, 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 and years later and be able to impact us in such a powerful way because one man stood up and was a powerful voice in his life. Barnabas. Barnabas somehow had got the understanding that God is a loving and compassionate and forgiving God. He's willing to see past people's failure into their future. Barnabas understood that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not go do whatever you want to do, but it's the gospel of new beginnings and beginning again. That's the power of the gospel. And Barnabas understood this. He had to understand this. Barnabas 
knew that the Holy Spirit could transform a person's life beyond the tragedy of their past and that their destiny was greater than their disaster. He had to understand those things. He had to know those things. That was the kind of person that Barnabas was. Barnabas later became a strong leader in the early church. God used his ministry of encouragement to make a difference in many people's lives, key individuals in scripture, many of which no doubt went on to accomplish great things in the kingdom of God. But the church needed a Barnabas to get going and to get established. Can I say, every church needs a Barnabas. Every church needs pews full of Barnabas. We need the voice of an encourager in the house. Where we believe in one another and we speak positively into one another's lives. You say, how do you know all these things about a man in the Bible that it has so little to say about? I'll tell you how I know these things. Because I see a newly converted Saul of Tarsus become a murderer, go from being a murderer and a martyr of Christians into a world changer for Christ. All because one man had a positive voice in his life. That's how I know who Barnabas was. When you take somebody who's killing people and he turns into saving people for the very same name that he was doing both, that means he had a powerful person in his life. His name was Barnabas. And the first time we see Barnabas show up in Scripture, watch this. First time we're introduced to this man is in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. Verse 36. Watch. Watch what it says. And Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, I'm reading from the NIV, whom the apostles surnamed Barnabas, Barnabas wasn't even his real name. It was a nickname. Didn't know that, did you? I thought it was his real name too. Nope. His real name was Joseph. But he became known in scripture throughout as Barnabas. Anybody know what the word Barnabas means? In the disciples gave this guy a nickname because more than whatever Joseph meant, his nickname meant more. They knew him as more than Joseph. Oh, wouldn't that be great to go to church with people? I know you for more than who you are. I know you for more than what you did. I know you for more than what you used to be. I know you now as an encourager. I know you now as a worshiper. I know you now as a faithful man and a woman of God. I know you for who you are, not just your surname. Can I help somebody today? There is life after a mistake. There is life after a past. And you can become known for who you are in Christ more than what you were given the name of your past. And so we see in Scripture that Joseph, the only real Joseph I know is the earthly father of Jesus. I didn't even know his name was Joseph until I studied it out. And here's why. Because the name Barnabas meant encourager. Son of the encourager, it means. And 
so the disciples nicknamed him. Anybody ever gotten a nickname in life? Some are pretty cool. Some aren't. <laughs> we're just going to leave that out there. And we're not going to open it up for discussion right now. What your nickname is or what my nickname is. And, and, and if y'all have given me any nicknames, we need to talk privately <laughs> and discuss that. Amen. We're just going to shelf that, but nicknames are real. We become known for who we are. Amen. We do. We become known for who we are, not just our name. But can I tell you in a positive way, you can change your history with the help of Jesus Christ. We can become anything we want to become with the help of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, you can be an encourager with the help of the Holy Ghost in your life. You can become known as a worshiper if you want to be. You can become known as the witnesser if you want to be. You can become known as the, the, the spiritual one, the, the, the man or woman after God's own heart. Amen. You can get whatever nickname you want. It's up to you. And Barnabas decided, I want to be known as an encourager. And boy, he did it throughout Scripture. We only know him as Barnabas. Barnabas isn't even his real name. Elsewhere in Scripture, we see nicknames that are given. In one place in Scripture, Jesus gives uh, the disciples, uh, who was it? James and John. What did he call them? The sons of thunder. Because of their, their explosive uh, personalities. Nicknames can stick with us. Amen. It's such as here in scripture. We see that we're introduced to a real a man with the real name of Joseph. And yet we know him better as his nickname. The encourager. And so in scripture here. We see no small coincidence that it is Joseph. The Levite of Cyprus. Acts 4 and 36. Whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means the son of consolation or encourager. Look what he's doing. He's an encourager, and look what an encourager does. He sells a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Sounds like a building program to me. <laughs> Amen. Can I say... And yes, I'm intentionally making this connection. Some of the greatest encouragers that I see here at the church were some of the first ones to come and say, we want to be a part of this building program. The two go hand in hand. When you get a giving spirit, you get happy. Did you know that? That's not Pastor Shellhart talking. That's the book talking. Did you know the Lord loveth a cheerful giver? When you get to giving, you get cheerful. You get happy. Amen. You want to be an encourager? Start giving. Start giving. You say, boy, preachers always talking about money. I didn't even talk about money. You can give up your time. You can give up your schedule. You can give up your, your voice, your input into people's lives. Amen. But it doesn't have to stop there. You can also open the blessings of your pocketbook. And give it unto the Lord. And let the Lord bless you. I'll tell you what. Some of the happiest people I've ever met are givers. They are giving people. Because giving makes you happy. 
You ought to try it sometime. That whole pay it forward thing, it's real. You ought to do it. Amen. I'm not saying spend your rent money on it and, and have no place to live. But have you ever been in the drive-thru and said, I want to bless the car behind me? Do it if you haven't tried it. Bless someone. Well, I don't get anything out of it. That's the point. I don't get anything at that. They don't even recognize me. They don't know. And I'll tell you what I have done. I've handed them a church card and said, would you give this card to the, the car behind? I want to pay for their meal. I have done that. So we've gotten the church name out by being kind to them. Listen, I'll tell you more than anything, handing out a church card or any other byproduct of being kind, it just feels good to be nice. This world needs a whole lot more people being nice, being kind to one another. I'm about sick of this pandemic. Now we got face masks on. Nobody can see the expression on our face. Now all you see is beady eyes everywhere. <laughs> Staring at you. I just want to go over and say, are you smiling? <laughs> are you happy? <laughs> you can't smile with your eyes, though. You know that. You can't smile with your eyes. But even if you can't really pull that off, you can still speak friendly. You can still say hello. And this whole business of being out in public and I can't look at you and I have a face mask on so I have to act like nobody else exists and I'm going to be rude to everybody. Come on, Christians. Get full of the Holy Ghost again and be happy. Get the joy of the Lord back in your life and start being nice to people. Say hello to that stranger. I don't know what they'll think. Well, you know what? I know what they might think if you don't say hello, though. Because you know what? Our community knows us Pentecostals. And then when we're not nice and we're not friendly, hello, not a meddling, right? Help us, Lord. We are the Pentecostals. We are the apostolics of the area. Let's act like it. Let's act like we're not just Pentecostals on the outside, but we're Pentecostals on the inside, full of the Holy Ghost, full of joy, full of happiness, kind to people, loving to people. It's just fun. Pay it forward sometime, and you don't have to break the bank. I did it one time, and I will say this. I will say this. I was all geared up. And I paid for a van. And I think they ordered everything on the menu. And I committed to doing it. And I thought, well, Lord, you know, we just got to do it by faith. And I paid it forward. <laughs> just going to leave that there. God knows. Amen. But it's no small coincidence that one of the biggest encouragers that I see in Scripture, we first see him giving to a building program, giving to the church. There's something that's correlating there. There's something that connects there. You get happy when you give. And Barnabas, the encourager of Scripture, we first see him giving. 2 Corinthians 9 puts it this way. You want to be happy in your life? Remember this. I'm reading from the NLT. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds, guess what? He's only going to get a small crop. But the one who plants generously, guess what? He's going to get a generous crop. 
Verse 7, you must each decide in your own heart how to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. Not only does God love you, but that person is happier in life. If you want to get happy in life, start giving to people. Start giving, however that looks like, whatever that means, give to people. Some people that struggle with being positive in their life, it's because they've restricted their giving. They've, not, they've lost the, the paradigm and the principle of giving. It's refreshing. It's wonderful. It releases something in your life when you start giving to others. And don't keep score, by the way. Don't keep score. And I say, when you give, don't keep score. Amen. Bless somebody, and if they don't bless you back, it's okay. You didn't do it for that reason. Give with no, with no <clears throat> expectancy back. Amen. Give it. But guess what? Guess who does keep record? Guess who does keep record when nobody else sees? And then that check shows up in the mail. Oh, come on, somebody. Y'all acting like this never happens in your life. I grew up in a home where we had financial miracles because we needed them. We're so rich and increased with goods. I wonder if we're going to have these kind of miracles anymore because we live in America and we're rich and we don't need all that stuff. I tell you, sometimes, and I'm going to limit how much I say this, but I miss the old days when we needed miracles because guess what? We got miracles. Yes, we did. I remember my mama weeping in, in, in the kitchen, tears coming down and she just praising the Lord in her kitchen, not at church, not around the altar, in her kitchen. And I thought, oh boy, what one of my brothers do? Because it surely wasn't me that made her cry. It was one of my brothers. And mom, what's wrong? She said, oh, nothing's wrong. I found money in that jar. Now, you had to live in our home. We didn't live in a home where you could hide money in secret places. <laughs> we didn't have those. And it wasn't dollar bills. It was more than that. We bought groceries that week, and we needed it. We needed that miracle. I don't know what your story is. You've got your own miracles that God has done. But, oh, thank God that he is a miracle worker, and he keeps track whenever we give to others, and he'll give back into you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. God will bless you, even if nobody else sees your kindness to others. Hallelujah. But it opens the door, that positive door of blessing in your life. When you get positive and you get a, a giving spirit on your life. So it's no coincidence that the first time we see an encourager, he is giving. And then watch this. He is the encourager. And it immediately opens the door to a miraculous work in the New Testament church. While this man is sacrificially giving to the apostles, he gets the nickname of being an encourager, and in the very same setting, God says, you're the one I want to use. As he gave, as he encouraged others, God sneaks up behind him and says, you're the one I want to use. See, I've got a world changer that's coming into the church. I need somebody I can trust with. You know who God can trust? Somebody who's an encourager. Somebody who's positive. Somebody who's a giver to others. Guess what? All of those things I just described, self is not most important. Amen. 
And in our society, we live in a society where everything is self-important. We now take pictures called selfies. Now we, we're not, we're not, you know, uh, we're not okay with just taking pictures of everything else. Now we've got to take pictures of ourselves constantly, so much that we created a new word. Put it in the dictionary. Selfies. Nothing wrong with selfies. They're fine. But that's the society we live in. Can you still worship God? I've heard that sermon before. He's preaching that sermon again. Can you still worship God? Well, that's not the paint color I would have chosen. And I wouldn't have done this. And I would do that with those funds. And I, I, me, me, I, me, 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 I. Hmm. Where's God in all of that? Where's God and all the me and the I and the ego? And I'll tell you what, heaven got cleaned up when I and me showed up one day. When ego showed up, ego got kicked out of heaven. And Lucifer got kicked down. When we make church about me and me and I and this and that and the other, and it stops being about God, God doesn't want any part of it. I don't know about you, but I want to make sure church has all to do with him and less about me. Less about I. Less about you. All about him. So if it's not your favorite song, why don't you go ahead and worship him? If it's your not, not your favorite sermon, and I'm sorry, it is what it is, why don't you go ahead and bless the name of the Lord? Hallelujah. And so this encourager goes from giving to the apostles to immediately being trusted with a miracle. The miraculous in the New Testament. You see, Saul comes to Barnabas for the past. Saul doesn't show up as this no-name. Everybody knew who Saul was. Saul already had a reputation. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. Saul was very religious. He was a determined man. He was a Pharisee. He had received his religious training from Jewish rabbis. Saul was known to hate the new Christianity and the Christians that were now everywhere. And, it, and he felt it was God's given responsibility for him to wipe away all the Christianity movement off the face of the earth. And so Saul literally felt he was fulfilling the will of God by martyring and killing the Christians. I've said it before in other messages. I want to say this. I dare say that Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, went on to preach to widows that he created. Now let's talk about getting over your past. Now let's talk about who you can become when you're preaching to 
widows that you created. You got to come back and humbly submit yourself in the in the presence of God and under the Holy Ghost and the anointing and say, but God is on my life now. I'm not who I used to be. Would you forgive me and let me become something greater? That's the Apostle Paul that we see in Scripture. And it doesn't happen without an encourager in his life called Barnabas. And so here he is. Paul is on his way to Damascus. I'm sorry, Saul at that time. He's on the road to Damascus and now he's blinded in Scripture. You remember the story. He's blinded in in, on the road to Damascus and there is a, a voice that comes out of the sky and he falls to the ground and it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul cries out and says, who are you, Lord? He's blinded. At that point, Jesus speaks out of heaven and introduces himself. He says, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And Paul gets a revelation that day of his purpose and that his purpose had been wrong, but Jesus can give you a new purpose. How many people out there just need a meeting with Jesus to get their purpose realigned? But it's going to take a Barnabas to get you there. Church, there's got to be a Barnabas to get people to that revelation. So Saul, Saul goes on. And we see Ananias in scripture who we've already mentioned. We'll skip over that. Saul now has his eyesight back. He now immediately begins to preach Jesus Christ. He's gone there to find the Christians and martyr them and bring them in, sentence them, even put them to death. And instantly he becomes a preacher of the gospel. The Bible tells us that those that heard him speak in, in Damascus were astonished because they heard about what Saul had done in Jerusalem before, and now they're hearing him preach Christ. I believe it says in Acts 9 and 22 that he grew more powerful at that point. Baffled, he baffled the Jews in Damascus by proving that Jesus was in fact the Christ. And so now, skip forward. The very Jews that he was working for to martyr the Christians are now angry with Saul that he's now uh, preaching the gospel and, and getting people saved and coming to Christ and now they want to kill Saul. Saul learns about this and he narrowly escapes with his life from Damascus and he ends up back in Jerusalem. And he's back in Jerusalem in scripture. And he wants to meet the people he's heard about. He has also heard about the apostles, Peter, different ones, the same ones that were on his checklist to kill. He now wants to meet them because he admires them in the faith. Only they don't know this. They knew who Saul was. They had heard of Saul. And so they also knew that Saul was present when Stephen was stoned. They knew that he had openly persecuted the believers in Jerusalem and that he had now had come to Damascus with approval to uh, bring in the Christians. And so now he's back in Jerusalem and the apostles were not warm welcoming to the apostle Saul that now stood proclaiming Jesus Christ. In fact, they were downright skeptical of it. And rightly so. They didn't know who he was yet. But can I say to the church, during a transition of not knowing who people are, 
We've got to learn how to give people the benefit of Go ahead and put your steel stone shoes on right now. Stop looking at people on the surface and decide who they are. The world is in an uproar because we're seeing life through filters. Filters that are not always accurate. Stop judging people based on what you think you know about them. I'm gonna let you just go home with that and unwrap that this week and let you and the Holy Ghost deal with that. Because everybody out there is not who you think they are. I'm gonna turn the tables and go one step further. Everybody in the church isn't holy like you think they are either. Including this pastor. Wait a second, what are you talking about? Listen, on our best day, we need the cross of Jesus Christ. We need the blood of Jesus Christ. We need his forgiveness on our lives. And without that, we're all lost and going to hell. Stop taking yourself so serious, except for the blood of Christ. If there's anything good in anybody here in this room right now, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the name of Jesus on their life. The Holy Ghost working in them. Yeah. Hallelujah. Oh, God needs to heal our world right now. Starting with the church. I'm going to go ahead and say it. There is no room for racism. I said there is no room for racism. We got to get over it. Neither Jew nor Greek nor Gentile. The Bible says when we get up to heaven, every tribe, every tongue, every nation is going to be represented up there. If you don't like it down here, you're not going to like it up there. If you make it. I'm not sure you're even going to make it. You talk in tongues all you want. If you have racism in your heart, I'm not sure you're making it through the pearly gates. Hello. We got to get on board with what it looks like to be an encourager, no matter who it is. You need to believe the best in people no matter who they are, what they are, where they've been. Believe in them. You might be dealing with an apostle Paul. Come on, Barnabas. Find your ministry again. Pick up your ministry again, Barnabas. Pick up your spirit of encouragement to one another. You might just be rubbing shoulders with an apostle Paul. Oh, we got to get back to encouraging one another. Not tearing each other down and believing the worst in each other. Come on. Even more so in the house of faith. Even more so in the house of faith. And so here enters... This encourager. I've never seen such a giant scripture before I studied this. Oh, Apostle Paul's been up here and Barnabas is somewhere in the background. I got new respect for Barnabas today. I've got new respect for the ministry of an encourager today. Huh. Acts 9 and 27. Oh, I'm so thankful for the spirit of a Barnabas. 
He was willing to put his arm out and take in somebody that the other apostles didn't even want to have a meeting with. Peter said, no, we will not meet with him because they know who he was. But they hadn't seen him like Barnabas had. They were pulled away. They were in their own world. They were, they were busy leading the church. Oh, I could preach on that right now. They were so busy living inside the church, they couldn't see the potential like Barnabas could because he wasn't caught up in all the rigmarole of the apostles, per se. But the spirit of an encourager can see past. And they can see the encouragement that's needed to somebody. It wasn't the, the apostle Peter that went and found Paul. No, it was a Barnabas with a spirit of encouragement that said, come on, brother, I got you. They won't meet you based on your word, but you're with me. You're with me. Come on in here. The Bible literally says it is Barnabas that takes him. Will you read it with me? 9 and 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly the name of Jesus. Listen, church, we don't have an apostle Paul without a Barnabas. Oh, we need a resurrection of the spirit of Barnabas in our churches today. Oh, the potential of the miraculous and the potential of the fivefold ministry that is waiting to explode in our churches. And we'll get back to the spirit of Barnabas. Oh, God, help us be an encourager to one another. Barnabas was willing to put his own reputation on the line for this new apostle, if you will. For somebody that only a few weeks ago had his checklist of people he was out to get. And just a few weeks later, the spirit of an encourager causes him to believe the best in him. In a very real and tangible way, Barnabas played the biggest behind-the-scene role in helping Saul become Paul. thought I was done, the spirit of an encourager doesn't just take and choose who he believes in. I just want to mention one other name, and I'm going to close with this. Anybody ever heard the name John Mark in Scripture? You don't hear a whole lot about him. You don't know a whole lot about him. Guess what else I learned this week? It was John Mark who fell away from ministry originally, even had parting ways with the Apostle Paul. Who separated because they didn't see eye to eye. John Mark, for whatever reason, the Bible doesn't say exactly what happened. But he pulled away from ministry and he was offended. He pulled away and Paul was offended. So much so that he didn't want anything to do with them anymore. So there was a there was something significant that happened. And, and so end of story, right? You made a mistake. It, it can't be repaired. Wrong. Now enters Barnabas. <laughs> Barnabas gets a hold of John Mark. Says, I know what happened before, but I believe in you. Oh, thank God for the spirit of Barnabas that comes along and sees the potential in people that make mistakes. Oh, and sees what they can become. And by the time the story's uh, totally written, John Mark is back in ministry, full 
of potential, full of good works in the New Testament, becomes a leader in the New Testament. Oh, by the way, this same John Mark, take the word John off of it, and it's the disciple Mark that writes in the New Testament, the book of Mark. Huh. Anybody ever blessed by the reading of the book of Mark in your life? It's because Barnabas spoke into John Mark's life and said, you've got more in you. There's something that has to be done in your life. Oh, I hope I'm preaching to the church the resurrection of the spirit of an encourager in your life. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. 2 Timothy 4 and 2 in the NIV. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and what else? Encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Titus 1 and 9. Holding fast the faithful words as he had taught. That he may be able to, to by sound doctrine, both exhort, encourage, and convince the gainsayers. And Hebrews 10 and 25. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but encourage, exhort, pull on people with your positive words to get them into the house of God. Be a part of this in this end time. Encourage one another, even more so as you see the day approaching. Listen, church, I'm here to tell you, there's a whole lot of other things that have to happen. I get that, and God will do that. But it needs to start with the positive, encouraging spirit of Barnabas on us. That's what we're missing. That's what this world is missing. And I dare say, regrettably, that's what the church is missing. It took behind-the-scenes people, like we mentioned, including Barnabas, how many world changers do we rub shoulders with out there? Waiting 